I don't have to tell you guys that things are bad, but I think if we kick names and take ass tonight, we might just be able to save the show. Turn on your TVs, honey, let's go. Let's watch the fake news team and that jerk part of foe. They only have one day to save the show. There's a fake news worth saving. The fire really hot, but it'll still blow. For the fakest news show is a fade in. For the fakest news show is a fade Now we arrive at the day in question. December 13th, 2021. One last day to save the show. One last day. A standalone story set in the world of the fakes. Starting March 3rd on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, well, everywhere else. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the Fakest Gets Real again. Uh, if you didn't know, uh, this is my comedy podcast about a news organization as devoted to making shit up as other journalists are to actual journalism. I'm Bill Meeks, and I'm the creator and writer of The Fakest. I also play Paul Defoe, who I'm kind of cosplaying as tonight, except with a blue shirt. He usually wears a white shirt. Uh, you know, he's the Fakest himself, you know? Uh, so in this special, we're going to introduce you to our cast from season three, uh, talk about the process of coordinating an audio dramedy over the internet, and tease what you can expect for season three. But before we get into all that, I thought it would be a good idea to catch people up on what we've done on The Fakest over the past few years. I think it's been about five years since I came up with the idea. Uh, so... Uh, I, I will say that I did write this final season to be sort of a standalone story. So if you haven't listened to any of the fakers before, not a big deal. Just listen to this quick catch up and you should be good to go. Uh, best of all, I'm going to cover everything you need to know in under a minute. I guarantee it. Okay, 60 seconds to go through the entire first two seasons of The Fakest. And I'm in a hot car, windows rolled up, no air conditioning in Orlando, Florida. So I better hurry. Okay, so here we go. So there's the show called The Fakest. It's a show that purports to be a news show, but is actually devoted to making shit up. It's hosted by a guy named Paul Defoe, who I play, who's a son of privilege. Everything's always kind of gone right for him. When our story begins, Leanne Snyder leaves her job in a small town TV station to come work in the big city as the executive producer in charge of production for Paul. The first day on the job, something terrible happens. Paul's girlfriend breaks up with him on the air. It's this huge faux pas and it crushes Paul's very overinflated but very fragile ego. So Paul goes through a lot of emotional turmoil in the first season, making a lot of bad decisions, selfish decisions, which eventually results in the death of his best friend, Birdman Stan, the helicopter pilot for The Fakest. Now, after being confronted by Leanne and some other members of The Fakest News crew, Paul fucks off to a karate sabbatical and says, screw it, I'm not doing the fake news anymore. Leanne really believes in the show, so she takes over the broadcast for Paul while he's gone. Now, while he's on the Christmas sabbatical, he gets visited by three Christmas ghosts in a story that's nothing at all like a Christmas carol and decides to go back to somewhere west of New York City and set right what once went wrong. So he does so, uh, but as he's sort of repairing all these relationships with all of his co-workers, he makes a startling discovery. A member of the Fakest Faithful Facebook fan page lets him know that his biological father, Monteperre Defoe, isn't actually his real dad. And that his real dad is this guy named Jim, who's been working as a janitor at the Fakest for years. 
Now, while all this is going on, Deborah Dawnstar, this multi-level scammer, is setting a trap for Paul Defoe and the Fakest News crew to completely destroy the show. Now, because Paul spent the entire season rallying his friends, he was able to easily take on Grimace from McDonald's, Deborah Dawnstar, and a ton of other characters who I can't really remember right now. So, season's over. Everyone's won. It's awesome. Well, uh, Paul's dad, Janitor Jim, died, but it's not that big of a deal. And he gets a phone call from Bertram KCOM, who owns KCOM Studios. And it's getting hot. So he gets this call from Bertram KCOM, and Bertram KCOM's like, okay, you got two months to save the show. You got to get new sponsors. You got to improve the show, or the show's done. And Paul, sort of, as he's wont to do, sort of retreats into himself and goes and sings some karaoke about it. The nights are lonely, the days will be sad, well... And that's where we pick up in season three. Now, if you don't mind, it's getting really, really hot here, and I really, really gotta go. I'm okay. See, I told you I could do it in under a minute. I, with 20 seconds to spare, too, right? I'm awesome. Okay, so now you're all cut up on the uh, the story of the fakest. So I figure it's a good time to go around and fly around the world to meet our cast because they do literally come from all over the world. I Well, not really the entire cast, but mainly the heroes. We don't want to talk to the villains. My name is Tom Merritt. I'm from Los Angeles, and I play all the McFernies, most recently Fergie McFernie on The Fakest. I'm Bobby Hogg from Brainton, Florida. I play, I have played Birdman Stan, Dandra Jim, and I am now in the process of playing Handlebar Van Dyke. My name is Samuel Lewis. I live in Williamsburg, Kentucky, and this season on The Fakest, I am playing both Carl and, well, another character that's returning. My name is Wynne Mercer. I'm from Richmond, Virginia, and I play Grace Huber Stafford on The Fakest. Hello. What am I doing? I'm trying to finish this artwork for Bill Meeks and his Fakest thing. My name is Gretchen Schneider, and I'm playing Cindy McNeil on The Fakest, and I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Hi, everyone. My name is Tony, and uh, I've had the pleasure for the past three seasons of um, voicing the lovable mythological weather character, Byron Seals. Hey, I'm Sean. I'm from the Toronto area up here in uh, sunny Canada. Not sunny at all. I play Barry Tesh. And a few other characters, but I think Barry's the uh, the main. He's the main squeeze, the main event for uh, this final season of The Fakest. So, hello, my name is Samantha Krausman, and I'm from Rehoboth, Massachusetts, and I play Carrie Tart. Hi, I'm Derek O'Neill from Dublin in Ireland. I play Roy Silver and Montepere Defoe in The Fakest. Hello there, I'm John, and I'm also from Dublin, Ireland, and I play Ron Jolliver on The Fakest. <laughs> uh, I'm Peter Price, uh, I'm from Oakland, California, and um, I play uh, Tim Monet and the AI bots, producer bots. And the Batman announcer, you can't forget. The Batman announcer, okay, I thought we were going to keep him anonymous, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bum, 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 bum. 
Aren't they a lovely bunch of people? Um, I, I will say over on the YouTube chat room, uh, Sean Barr said, somebody save that baby before he dies of heat exhaustion. Uh, Sean, I would never keep a baby in my car. I always keep them in the trunk and it's nice and cool back there. All right, so you've met the entire cast, but well, you know what? Not the entire cast. In fact, you haven't met the co-lead of the show, someone who I consider as important, if not more important than the character I'm dressed up as right now, uh, Paul Defoe. Uh, so uh, why don't we go ahead and bring on uh, Leanne Snyder herself, uh, the executive, the former executive producer in charge of production, now the co-anchor of The Fakest, Rebecca Johnson. How you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for uh, agreeing to join me and also T. Dean, that opening section. I really appreciate it. It, it feels character correct for me to do that. Well, yeah, you were saying that you were feeling a little weak as Leanne in the flashback sequences in the first episode. So I figured, you know, give you some motivation. We'll go back and re-record those lines before we release it on Wednesday. Is that okay? Sounds good. That works. Perfect. We'll do it right after this. All right. So, uh, Rebecca, uh, why don't we go ahead? I, I, I wanted people to get to know you because, like I said, you're so important to the project, more important than me in a lot of ways. Um, so, I mean, uh, you said it, not me. So uh, <laughs> I just want everybody to know that. <laughs> all right. Well, why don't you go ahead and just uh, give us a little bit on your uh, podcasting background and how you kind of got into all this? Yeah, it started in, oh, I don't know what year it was, but it was the sixth season of Lost was airing. And I remember uh, watching the episodes and then calling my friends up saying, oh, my gosh, did you see that episode? And then we would have these really great, deep uh, philosophical conversations about the episodes. And and I thought, you know, in an egotistical way, hey, you know, uh, this would benefit other people if they heard our discussions. We have really great discussions. <laughs> and so um, people uh, need to hear this. People need to hear what we have to to say and I had been listening to a podcast called uh, The Lost Podcast with Jay and Jack. It was one of the podcasts I listened to a lot back in the early days when I first discovered podcasting. And I was very inspired by them. And so I kind of dipped my toe into doing a little bit of a podcast with my friends about Lost. And uh, then I got to the point where I wanted to get really serious about it. And so I started a Once Upon a Time podcast because that had started airing on ABC. And so I did that for a couple of couple of years uh, before I uh, left uh, left that pursuit. <laughs> um, uh, I'll say that nicely. Uh, so I uh, stopped doing that Once Upon a Time podcast. And then a friend of mine, Andy, from the Flash podcast, asked me if I would like to do a podcast about Supergirl, which is a character I've uh, liked since I was a young, a young wee, Rebecca. And so I thought that might be pretty fun. Now I've been doing it for six years. So it all started from uh, just awesome phone conversations I have with some friends of mine. Yeah, and I think you neglected to mention too, Rebecca. We in the Once Upon a Time podcasting space, we were competitors. Well, I never, I never saw it that way. I always well, saw it as uh, collaborators. I totally did. <laughs> no, I totally did. I was like, I'm, I'm going to take Rebecca out one way or the other. And you know what? Within a year, your podcast was done. So I mean, you, you kind of did. You outlasted me for a good while. So uh, well done. You succeeded. Congratulations. <laughs> All right. So people have an understanding of how you got into the whole podcasting space. Uh, so why don't you tell people a little bit about how I suckered you into helping me out on The Fakest? Well, as far as I know, uh, Bill had written uh, a pilot called Infinite Tina, and it was a pilot he wanted to have people read out loud. So he gathered some people together and assigned parts. And so he gave me a part that was sort of the... Uh, I don't know if it was the it was kind of a narrator part, but it was a, it was a character that went with uh, the the main character throughout yeah, the if script. I, if I remember correctly, it was an intelligent uh, smartphone named Vicky. Yes. Which, uh, 
again, uh, we do have an intelligent computer as a character on the fake. So <laughs> I go back to the same well. Over you're over you're just using what you know. And uh, so uh, so that was a pretty hefty uh, part that I got to play in that sort of table read. And it was a lot of fun. I had a good time. I don't think I played the part as exactly as you had described it in the script because I'm not an impressionist. So I couldn't exactly <laughs> get it the way that you that you needed yeah, it. But I think I had mentioned it. I, I wanted it to be something along the lines of like Christian Shaw. Yeah. And so I yeah. didn't have really have that nasally tone. Uh, and I and I, tr <laughs> I tried it, though. I tried it, Bill, beforehand. And I was like, this is no good. Uh, no one is going to like this. So I just decided to sort of play it as as me a little bit and uh i had a lot of fun doing it um and so i think from there a bill might have gotten the idea that maybe i could do something like that for his fakest <laughs> idea and so he he pitched it to me saying hey would you like to be a part of this and i said yeah that sounds like a lot of fun so uh it it was funny i didn't realize it would become as a uh, big of a part <laughs> as it became but uh but i've been having a ton of fun doing it I, I will say you kind of got that backwards. Uh, when you did Infinite Tina, I realized, oh, she'll do all sorts of random crazy shit if I ask her. So <laughs> why don't I come up with the most random craziest shit in the world, the fakest, and then she'll help me with it. So Well, I, I think we, we've both kind of uh, done some things for each other. I asked you to do a fairy tale reading for me one time. And yes. uh, so so I think uh, we're always trying to find ways to, you know, partner up and do things together and, and have fun with things that we're doing. So I'm, I'm always happen, uh, happy to be part of some crazy idea that you have. Yeah, we're always looking for ways to stop, collaborate, and then of course, and listen. You have to listen. That's the most important yeah. part. The most important part. The <laughs> most important part. Okay, so uh, we'll t let's talk a little bit about the development of the character of Leanne. I, I'll say that when I started off with her, uh, basically the idea behind her was, you know, as podcasting was growing a lot back in, Oh, whatever year it was, I started this. I can't even remember anymore. 2016-ish. <laughs> um, you know, podcasts were getting big. There were some bigger names like your Conans and your Joe Rogans and all that. And a lot of them had a, a very common element, which was a producer for the show who would kind of beep into the show and be sort of a character or a fact checker or something like that. So that was the kind of origin of Leanne. Uh, but but once I figured out that uh, you were going to be playing her, I was like, well, I should really try and tailor this to Rebecca because she can't do a Christian Shawl impression. No, so, <laughs> I, I definitely cannot. <laughs> so so my best in with Rebecca is making sure that she's playing herself. <laughs> the easiest part I could I could play. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, why don't you? Uh, I, I'm going to challenge you, much like how I sort of went through the entire plot in only one minute, well, actually 40 seconds uh, of the two seasons. Why don't you kind of walk us through Leanne's journey through all of this? Well, she starts off, uh, if I remember correctly, kind of a young ingenue in the news biz. Uh, she she has big dreams and aspirations, and uh, she finds out about this guy, Paul Defoe, and, and she wants to work with him. And so she ends up going to work with him at The Fakest, and she is in the control room for most of the time. When you talk about beeping in, Leanne literally had a 
a little sound effect where she would beep in and you used to put the the sound effect over my voice to make it sound like it was coming from like a headset, which I always thought was really funny. Uh, yeah, so I will, say, I will say in in the countdown for this broadcast, the beeping sound on the bomb was Leanne's beeps. So. I knew that sounded familiar. <laughs> it sounded very familiar. So um, yeah, so she she used to be in the in the control room, kind of behind the scenes, helping out with the show and uh, saving Paul or sometimes apologizing for Paul when he would <laughs> do something that he shouldn't have. Um, like every episode. Uh, almost every episode. Um, she got into some crazy shenanigans. Uh, she befriended a, a cat that, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> went crazy. Uh, she also and is uh, now a major character in the fakest is a, a huge character, a big, a big player. Um, and she, eventually I believe it's in season two when she becomes the co-anchor of the fakest. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so, so she kind of moves up in the world. She starts to live, live her dream of, of being an anchor. Um, she is somewhere in there. She had to deal with the producer computer, uh, who was sort of kind of getting into her space. I, I, I always felt mm-hmm. like the producer computer was, um, sort of, uh, kind of getting a little too much into her boundaries. <laughs> um, and she even died in one episode. I had to, I had to, mm-hmm. I had to die. There was that that happened. Um, and so basically just uh, Leanne's whole journey is just making sure that the fakest uh, doesn't really crash and burn. And, and that mm-hmm. includes the show and the guy, Paul Defoe, uh, which sometimes goes hand in hand. And can be very confusing too, which is intentional, which is intentional. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you know, it's funny you mention uh, that Leanne died in one episode because I went back and listened to, that was the the Christmas special, which doesn't have the strongest download numbers and i'm like damn it because that's like a very plot important episode but uh you know there's a it's it's a ripoff of a christmas carol and in the ghost of uh, christmas future or whatever he takes paul uh to leanne in the control room and she's leaning over a microphone and much like you saw in the trailer she's saying my name's leanne snyder and this is the story of how i killed the fakest so uh that's going to be a phrase that you hear repeated a lot this season because every episode is one character's perspective on sort of how they feel they contributed to the death of the fakest, uh, both the, both the uh, show and maybe the guy too. We'll see. Yeah. And I think that's really smart that you were able to take something in, in a previous episode and, and expand that and turn it into a, a full season, make it a, an important the, plot. You want to know the craziest thing? Yeah, I always I, do. Actually, I actually wrote all eight episodes with that being like the intro paragraph and then I went back and listened to the Christmas special and it was in there. So I must have just had it like somewhere back in my it, subconscious it, or something. It was, it was there. You remembered it. You just hadn't pulled it out yet. Yeah. I, like I remembered the Leanne blowing up in the building and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, uh, nothing nothing uh, as detailed as all that. Uh, so as we're recording this tonight, you still haven't seen how Leanne's story ends because I'm still finishing up, tightening up the script and trying to get the season started. Um, so uh, where do you hope she ends up? Well, Leanne is sort of, uh, and people will know when they listen to season three, uh, you hear some influences in her life. Uh, she she might be somebody who would maybe aspire to be a Lois Lane type uh, journalist <laughs> uh, as she was growing up. So uh, so I, I, I want to see her do big things. I, she should win a Pulitzer. She should, you know, but she should move up in the business. She should become like a media mogul. I, I think she, you know, she's paid her dues. She has uh been in the control room she's done the grunt work she has uh produced she's she's anchored things she has reported she has written she has done all the work i feel like she needs to be 
rewarded with a big job as like the head of, I don't know. I don't know if she could become the head of KCOM Studios, but some kind of media mogul in the future. You know, Rebecca, that's a great idea. Hold on, let me just jot this down here. And <laughs> Okay, I'll have the script for the finale to you uh, awesome. by the end of the week. That sounds great. No, I think that would be a fun end for Leanne. I also think it would be kind of fun if she went back into modeling. But uh, we'll see. It's not. You know, I mean, it's always there for her. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> she she got, she has something to fall back on if this mm -hmm. fake news thing doesn't work out. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so this year versus other years, uh, we sort of took a different tack to production, mainly because I had the bandwidth to do it. Instead of everyone recording separately and me cobbling it together, we recorded everything live. So I, I was kind of wondering, um, you know. Did any uh, moments in that li those live recordings stand out to you? And how did you feel about that process overall? I, I had a couple of fun uh, memories of those uh, recording sessions um, because I, I do think that it was it was a good idea to actually have everybody or at least people in the scenes recording with each other and interacting with each other. Um, a lot of times if you watch behind the scenes of animated TV series, uh, you know, like the DC uh, comics animated shows, they often will do that. They'll all record together in one room. And so I think it does help build the energy. And uh, so I did find that a, a lot of fun and it made it very easy. Um, and, you know, we had that uh, initial, you know, the, the feedback right there uh, while we were doing it, everybody could contribute to everything uh, and uh, give feedback to other people's performances and help and help improve them. And so I thought that was really great. Um, I had a couple that I really enjoyed doing. Um, uh, Morgan Glennon, who is my co-host on Supergirl Radio. She's great. Uh, I got to record with her. We did a scene together. Uh, her character is uh, somebody that my character sort of uh, butts heads <laughs> with a little bit, which is which is a fun dynamic to play. And she was really good. The, the thing that uh, Bill asked us to do more of in season three was improv, which mm -hmm. I am terrible at. I am no good. I can read <laughs> <laughs> words off of a page in a script, but I cannot do improv Im improvisation. Uh, but Morgan is very, very good at it. And I, she, I um, say, Rebecca, to interrupt you, I will just say that you're great at improv in, in, in the sense that so many of your accidental like flubs and flobs <laughs> and things in our recording sessions have ended up in the show. So, I mean, I, it makes me laugh. I don't know about I, anybody. Else. I, I'm accidentally great at improv, <laughs> unintentionally great at improv. Uh, yes, I will uh, knock over my mic and <laughs> flub up a line uh, that, that does happen. Um, but Morgan is really good at it. She, um, she had an instance. I, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but she has a, a, a scenario in a scene where she had to think of ways in which she uh, communicated to other people that uh, that Leanne had done something that she shouldn't have. And uh, so, so Morgan had to think of different ways in which that could just be over the top and worse and worse and worse. And she did such a good job. She's very quick yeah. on her feet. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, so I'm just very impressed by that. Uh, and I think that helped me sort of think through some of the improv and and how to to work out how to do that because I, I was kind of in improv school with everyone <laughs> on season three of the fakest i also had a really good time uh recording with amy who plays uh leanne's grandma uh grandma <laughs> snyder um uh, uh i i think i am older than amy so it's pretty hilarious <laughs> that she's playing my grandma um but she was really fun and she's she's real i mean amy like i'm not an actress but amy is a legit 
actress. <laughs> so mm. she is very good. Uh, and I think she she does some things that I think will surprise and delight people in season three. I also I really... Also say, well, let me just say real quick, I will say that Amy in particular had a huge influence on The Fakest and this new method in that uh, it was her that inspired me to kind of push more improv, both in you know my personal life as a performer and in The Fakest. Uh, because we did, back in season one, we did uh, Disney's new princess where Mia from Pulp Fiction became a new princess of Disney World. <laughs> and uh, I had a little section written in like a, a third world sweatshop with Mickey, you know, being like, hey, kid, make the shirt. Or, hey, kid, make the shirts. And uh, then I also, when I sent the script out to Amy, I was like, why don't you just you know, make up like you're talking to kids in Disney World for about two minutes. And it ended up being way better than what I wrote. So we slipped it in there. And I was like, okay, improv is now the way. I know everyone makes fun of it, including me, but I'm going to go in that direction. Yeah. And I think you you do find some other jokes or other things in there that you might like you as a writer might not have had the knowledge about, but somebody mm -hmm. else would have. Um, uh, and one of the things that I did like about the improv that I, I got the chance to do, uh, there's a scene between Paul and Ella where there's. I, I don't want to tease too much, but there's a scene between the two of them and my there's character. tension. My character and another character are sort of gossiping about them. Uh, and so we had to do it in whispered, whispered speaking. And we had to like really be, you know, talking about them behind their backs. And so that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing that because maybe that's something that I can lean into uh, gossiping about somebody else. I feel like that that feels like a strong suit for me. Um, yeah, it, it, it feels natural. It, it feels, feels natural. so natural. I feel like I can really tap into that. Uh, <laughs> so, so that was a lot of fun. I had a, I had a great deal of fun doing that. And I don't know how well it turned out, um, but I, I thought that that was a, a, a great practice of having to really, because in that instance, we were all talking at the same time. So it was a really, uh, it, it was really important to be able to listen to what the other person was saying, because if you're speaking, whisper tones is a little quiet and the, the other yeah. people are speaking a little louder. And so you really have to focus. Mm -hmm. So improv for me, I've learned that you really have to pay attention and listen to what the people are saying. Oh, yeah, that's that's rule number one. That's what yes and is all about, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm taking in what you're saying and I'm adding to it and handing it back to you. And that that's that's the name of the game. I, I, I will also say that, you know, I do regret the first two seasons that we didn't do the live recording. I know that's kind of, you know, professionally standard for the most part, you know, when you're doing a cartoon or whatever. Uh, but it just wasn't practical for me at the time because I had a full-time job and I was doing most of my work between like 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. And no one's going to join you for that. <laughs> no. But it has, it has been so great uh, getting to really get to meet the cast in a lot of ways this year that, uh, you know, because I've, I've interacted with people a lot through email, um, you know, getting everything together. But it's been nice to kind of get in and really talk with people. And like you were saying with the improv, uh, play with people. Uh, Sam over in the chat room, who is a member of the cast, he plays Carl uh, this season, says that it was a tough process, but it was fun. Yeah. Uh, would, yeah, I, I think I think everybody pretty much in, in enjoyed it, even if they didn't think they were going to, which made me really happy. 
Yeah, and it was fun for me um, because a lot of a lot of the times when we had done Fakus episodes in the past, if if I recorded with somebody else, it was usually you. So mm-hmm. I I would hear those voices in the episodes, but I had never spoken to them. So it was kind of a treat for me because I'm yeah. like a fan of these people who like play these characters. So so I got to hear like I didn't need an introduction to these people. I I had already <laughs> heard them many times before. So um, so it was a lot of fun for me to actually get to interact with the other cast the cast members and the the news team that my character Mm -hmm. is a part of to actually get to interact them interact with them just as they do in the scripts so that was a lot of fun oh yeah they're a great group and uh what was i gonna say rebecca what was i gonna say uh you were gonna say something about uh our process or uh something about season three or the cast members or uh season three is process that's it that's it okay season three is processed (laughs) um no but you know what uh i i want to hear from some of the other cast members about the process too so i i think what we'll go ahead and do now we're going to go ahead and we're going to give you your first preview uh for the fakest season one this is a clip from uh, season three, episode one. Did I say season one before? Season three, episode one. Uh, that uh, features Amy, who we were just talking about, as Grandma Snyder, watching one of her favorite shows. And uh, then uh, we'll be right back, if I can find the video here. Oh, wait, here it is. Uh, they're in here in reverse. Uh, you guys don't care, the people watching the stream. Let's play it. Like sands through the hourglass. So are the days of our lives. Marlena, what's what's happened to you? You've you've transformed into a, a giant cockroach. Oh, it was Stefano, John. He used my frozen eggs to turn me into this monster. Oh, how could you ever love a cockroach? Like this. John, you're so kind and generous. What did I ever do to deserve you? Marlena, I... These these antenna. Oh, and the weird jaggedy things on your legs. I, it's got me going crazy. Don't forget the thorax. Oh, the thorax. Oh. And my, my tiny little legs, John. Oh, they're, they're quivering with delight. Ooh. Hey, Grandma. How are your stories? Well, that Stefano is at it again. He sabotaged Belle's newest job interview. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget the thorax. That's actually something that would happen on Days of Our Lives, though. Oh, trust me. Trust me. I know. Yeah. Yeah. People think that's over-exaggerating a a daytime soap opera. No, that's very close (laughs) to Days of Our Lives, actually. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, and uh, Sean Barr in the chat room says, I love the wing sounds. Uh, me too. I tried to make it as gross as possible. <laughs> well well <Okay>. done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I try. I try. Uh, okay. Well, now that we have some context for some stuff that's going to come up, why don't we talk to our cast about how they feel about recording live? You feel like it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. 
So you weren't around for the past two seasons and the way we used to do things where I would send people scripts and they would send me back lines and then I would put some sort of Frankenstein performance together. Uh, this year, uh, we went in with Zencaster and recorded everything live to tape. How did you find that experience sort of acting with people online without being able to actually see them? I liked it. Honestly, it made you it made me listen a lot harder than I feel like you do normally when you're like looking <laughs> at someone because you're like distracted by 10 other things. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was I thought it was easy to to play off of somebody else when you're hearing them like take an adjustment and like work on it from there. I, I you also I, you did a great job with a lot of the improv stuff. I I was just uh, listening this morning. I was listening to the first episode back, and your the little snippet you have is Marlena from Days of Our Lives is just fantastic. Yeah, the improv was really fun for me. I enjoyed it a lot. Like you get so much deeper into the character. Yeah, it, it, I think I think it was good for the group dynamic too, just because it it, it got us a chance to sign, kind of get in there and play together. And I, I noticed as we went on, the more improv I had certain pairs of people doing, the more like big and bold their performances got in later sessions. Mm-hmm. I agree totally. The last one that we did was, um, I I don't remember who it was with, but. I was not a human. I was something else. And you were just like, see where it goes. And it <laughs> it went far. <laughs> a lot of like if my my one sadness about this whole process is that there's probably gonna be so much left on the cutting room floor as far as the improvs. Cause you know, we only we try and keep the stories tight and we only have so much time. This is the first time I've done a live recording with other uh actors. As part of a cast, I've done live recording with the director, and then I've done um, I've done some actual in studio stuff. But this is the first time where it's been very remote, um, and there was just voices. There was no camera or anything like that. So uh, I really liked it. It was one of those ones where you can kind of feed off of each other's energy, even 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 though we are remote. When we've had the opportunity to record, like you know an entire act of an episode all together in the same session. It's really felt electric and it's it's felt like a live performance. It kind of really made me wish I, we, we, we actually did that for the other two seasons. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I'm not going to lie. It's been very enjoyable. Well, I, I will say that, um, that this season doing it the way we have, uh, has brought a certain, flavor of joy to my heart that i haven't felt since uh tony and bobby and uh, monica and everyone came over for the last episode of greetings from storybrook and we recorded the madam kapral's rap sure <laughs> i guess you really do have friends paul you're damn right i do yeah your boy birdman stand here coming to you from the underground about to spit fire the electricity I felt that night that we recorded that is the electricity I felt at every one of these recording sessions for season three. So hopefully it shows in the final product. I, I, lo- I love Bill throwing out those improvs. Um, and with it, I don't know what you have. Is it a notebook or something that you're getting these word uh, uh, keywords from? But when we were doing the interview with um, uh, our um, Tim's report, and Tracy, my rebound girlfriend, is supposed to insult me, and, and Bill comes out of nowhere. He's like, "Yeah, insult him. Uh, here's your, here's your, uh, here's your inspiration, cow." 
<laughs> you heard the line go silent for like two minutes. <laughs> it's like, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> What a fun group. What a fun group of people. And there's they're all so good on the fakest. I I, I love uh um is it is it Byron the the weatherman? Um, yeah, yeah, played he, by Tony. Tony does such a good job with him. I mean, they all do, but uh but he I had never really interacted with him before and so it was mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun to uh cuz I think Leanne at one point in one of the scenes if I remember correctly, she's sort of she's sort of terse with him. She's you know, kind of uh um uh, uh, not angry at him, but she sort of, you know, cuts him off. And so it, it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was fun because there was that comedic element, but also, you know, we had to actually, you know, play parts and act. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was fun to interact with all of them. And uh, they're all so good at what they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? I'm good at what I do too, but I don't feel like doing it anymore. I've already been interviewing people for this thing for like four or five days now. So I'm going to sit back. I'm going to take off my wig. And uh, why don't you interview me, Rebecca? Why don't you talk to me a little bit uh, well, with all those questions I gave you? I have so be- I have so many questions. Uh, the first one that I want to ask you about is, um, so, so you've written all these scripts, which are hilarious and smart and witty and very meta in a lot of places uh, mm-hmm. and also very difficult sometimes. Uh, you gave me a lot of alliterations that I would have to say. Um, so I, I was just curious what, what made you want to become a writer? Cause a writer is something you have to be passionate about. I've tried to write scripts. I'm terrible at it. Uh, so if you don't like writing and you don't have a passion for a story, you're not going to be a good writer. I can just tell you that from personal experience. So I was just <laughs> curious what, what made you want to write? Did, what, do you remember the first story you ever came up with and wanted to write about? I, I don't remember the first story in particular, but I, I do remember sort of the spark. And it was, uh, I think I was five years old, maybe. And I was hanging out with my grandma and uh, me and my grandma, we, we were always super duper close. And I think I wrote her like a little shitty poem or something like that. And she took it and she like put it in like a frame and she put it up on her wall. And she was like, I'm going to save this because one day, you know, Billy Meeks, because uh, I was called Billy back then, is going to be <laughs> a famous writer. And then I'm going to be able to sell this and show it off to all my friends and everything. And it kind of, you know, lit the fire in me. Um, now, I wasn't, you know, when we're six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, uh, we're not super duper responsible even with our passions. So I, I, it didn't really hit until high school. Um, when I started working for the school paper, my, my teacher, Miss Wager kind of, uh, suckered me in to be the computer guy for the school paper. And I started writing articles and stuff and finding a lot of strength in it. Um, then through college, I, I was a theater major and an English major. So I wrote a lot of short stories, a lot of one act plays, things like that. And then after that, I moved out to LA to be a screenwriter. Um, I was, I lived out there for about a year and a half, two years, and I I was finding success. Um, if you've ever heard of my dog boy books, um, I, that originally started as a screenplay that I actually sold for money. And, uh, things conspired to bring me back to the East coast, unfortunately, but fortunately I met my wife, we had kids, 
settled down a little bit. And I've just been sitting in a dark corner for the past five or six years writing books and scripts and things like the fakest and uh, recipes too. I write a lot, a lot of recipes <laughs> uh, about, you know, cured meats. That's my real specialty. Wow. That, I, bet, I bet that it's a really great recipe list. It's probably very clever. Uh, so I, I will have to look at that someday and see if I can <laughs> cook from that <laughs> recipe. Um, that's that's really cool. And also, uh, can do I have permission to call you Billy Meeks? Is that um, you know what, Rebecca? Is that just no, for your grandmother? Okay. Literally, no one in the world does because of how much you've contributed and helped with this project. I'm going to allow it just <gasps> from you. Awesome. If anyone else in the if anyone in the chat room calls me Billy, kick them. But you okay. can do it. I'm, I'm, I will take that as a, a huge compliment and a, an awesome responsibility <laughs> to be that person. Um, but that's really cool because I, I think it, it does. Uh, you have to care about writing stories in order to be a writer, because if you don't, you're never going to write anything. <laughs> I found that out the hard way. So I was I was also curious about your writing process, because I know some people sort of go about writing in different ways. Sometimes they do treatments or they do bullet points or they do outlines mm -hmm. or they do. Uh, or maybe they just get started in their their script from page one. So what do you do when you want to sit down and write a script? How do, how do you start? Uh, well, you know, it always starts with an idea, right? Uh, you know, you come up with a concept. In the case of The Fakest, uh, it was back in 2016 during the election. And, uh, you know, with Trump and everything, there was all this fake news stuff in the air. And I, I was like... Uh, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if there was a news organization devoted to making news fake? Because I was working for a news organization at the time, and I uh, I knew that they cared a lot about doing their job right. And so I thought it would be fun to kind of flip it and make, you know, a, a news organization that cared as much about making shit up as real journalists do about the news. Uh, so it starts with an idea, and then I start with character, right? So... I had this idea for a news organization. I was like, well, what kind of character could this story be about? And I was like, well, it'd have to be some asshole, right? Some complete total asshole who's completely obsessed with himself, doesn't care about anybody else, and doesn't realize it until someone crosses him in the wrong way, which is you know, basically the way the plot happened. So once I kind of de determined that, I kind of write out character arcs, get that all figured out. And then I'll break it down into scenes, acts and scenes. And once I have a really solid outline, generally my outline for an episode of The Fakest is about three quarters of a page to a page. I, I'll go and I grab, hold on, let me, I don't want to knock this cup on the ground here, but I'll grab a legal pad. And what I'll do is every scene gets a page and I'll, you know, get all the scenes in the legal pad and then I'll just start, you know, writing one line, like say it was a Paul and Leanne scene for the first scene. I'd write, Paul says, what the fuck's up, Leanne? And then I would flip the page, <laughs> go to the next scene, write with Leanne and Byron. Leanne's like, Byron, you're really cool. And then keep going through and then start back over at the beginning and write each next line. I, I picked up this technique. It hasn't always been this way. It's been this way for this season. I picked up this technique from Kelly Rands at the Humor Mill in Orlando, a sketch comedy team that I've been involved with here. And uh, he, he, he said it was a really good way to sort of do self-generated improv in that you're writing one line, you know, you're making one offer and then you're walking away from it. You're becoming a different person, even, 
even if you're walking away for 10 or 15 minutes, then you come back to it and you have a slightly different perspective and you can respond to that first line you wrote more like uh, you're in an improv scene. So I, uh, uh, did you have some? Did you want to oh, uh, well, I was just going to say that it's really interesting that your your improv study has really impacted season three and, and not only helped the acting part of it and sort of the, the, the joke part of it, but the actual writing process. That's re that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I like I said before, I used to mock improv a lot and people who were into improv. And I was like, what's what's the deal with that? But once I started going to, you know, SAC Comedy Lab and Ad Lib Theater here in Orlando and taking classes and doing performances, I could feel myself, you know, accelerating as a performer, as a writer, um, as a as a person and a friend in a lot of ways, too, because it it just uh, it kind of opens up your mind and your heart to anything people have to throw your way. And yeah, sometimes those things can be negative, but we can process those without letting them overtake us too. And I just think it, it just encourages a collaborative environment in any sort of situation, the improv techniques I've learned over the past couple of years. Well, some of the best comedians in the world have been great improvisers, uh, but you want to be more of a Steve Carell improviser than uh, Michael Scott. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's what you, what you need to shoot for. Uh, but yeah, th the improv, I think, has really uh, improved things. And so I was curious, with all the sketches and all the scenes and all the episodes you've written for The Fakest, do you have one that really sticks out to you as something you're really proud of that you that you wrote? Uh, yeah, actually, um you know, I, I think the sketches in season two are a lot better than the ones in season one, but I'm going to go ahead and pick a season one one. And it was this, it, it, it's not a very funny sketch, but it was one of the few times like I was like, okay, I'm going to kind of take this stance that I have personally and apply it to a sketch. There was a sketch uh, we did about a guy named Brandon Basham who was on death row. And we had sort of like a, a Karen, more or less, uh, you know, volunteer to help him get executed earlier so he didn't have to wait around being scared of being executed. And it was sort of this polemic about the death penalty and how it's all fucked up and everything, and I don't like it. Uh, it but it was the first time I really allowed my own personal opinion to really come through in the writing. And that's something that's continued. I mean, a lot of times jokes are made just for jokes, but a lot of times, too, these sketches and these jokes and these scenes have a point behind them. Yeah, so uh, th that's good to know, especially because, I mean, writers should always, you know, put some sort of perspective behind it, you know, have have a point of view when you write something. Um, so that's mm -hmm. cool. Well, um, I guess uh, my, my next questions uh, have more to do with the editing process, because these episodes mm -hmm. don't cut themselves. <laughs> Somebody actually <laughs> has to take all of these recordings that everybody does and put them together in something that is listenable. And I don't even know if that's a mm -hmm. word, but I'm saying <laughs> it and using it. So uh, I'm curious because I am also a video editor and uh, I know how much work it takes and your fakest episodes are always so good, always well polished. So I was curious, what is the editing portion of that? Like, what is, what is the process that you go through to edit one episode? Well, I will say it's been a lot simplified this year because we're recording everything together and the way Zencaster works. And if you produce any audio podcast yourself, I recommend Zencaster. They're not paying me, but they could. Uh, bill at billmakes.com. <laughs> uh, but the nice thing about it is it records everyone's audio track 
to a separate track in their browser locally. And then when you hit stop recording, it uploads it all to my Google Drive. And then I can drag those into Adobe Audition, which is what I use to edit. And it's all synced up multi-track. So it's really easy to kind of cut around and, you know, you know, make edits and tighten up timing and, and things like that. It, it's just made it so much easier because like I mentioned in that video we played earlier, the past couple of years, it's basically, you know, I send out the scripts, I send everyone their scripts, they send me back their audio files. And then, you know, if there's 40 characters in a particular episode, that means I have 40 audio files or sometimes, you know, some people would send individual files for every line or individual files for every page. And it was a lot to keep track of. And so much time was burned just going through and looking through folders and trying to make sure I had this and, oh, I don't have it. I need to email them and hopefully they can get it to me tonight because the episode comes out tomorrow. So Zencaster has really streamlined that process. Now, basically all it is, is, you know, once we got done with recording the first date, because that's all we have recorded right now, we still have a couple left to record, pulled everything down. And then I just, you know, worked down the line, starting with episode one, act, or the teaser for episode one. I pull in the audio files, uh, go through, do a rough edit. And then in the script, I generally have notated, you know, I might like some Caribbean music here or the sound of, you know, two people making out and someone ripping open the other one's thorax over here. <laughs> and I'll just notate that in the script. And then I'll just go through, do a quick rough edit of just the dialogue. Then I'll go back in and I'll drop in sound effects and music. Then I'll go and listen to it three or four times. I'll generally export it put it on my phone, put it in cheap headphones, take a walk or something, listen to it, then come back and give it like two QC passes before I officially like, okay, I'm going to have Anne-Marie listen to it just to make sure I didn't miss anything. And then it's done. Uh, actually, uh, the funny thing is for episode one, which comes out in less than 48 hours, I still have to do the QC, but I'm pretty happy with it. So it should be too big of a deal. Yeah, that's really important, the QC process, uh, because even if you're editing and you think you got it right, there could be something that you missed or you didn't cut correctly or didn't put that effect yeah. on right. Um, mm -hmm. So and especially if you uh, are editing for long periods of time or late at night, mm -hmm. who knows uh, that can. <laughs> I was going to say my favorite thing is when you do like something like a ripple delete, which is where you delete something in the middle and it moves everything together and it doesn't grab one of the tracks and bring it along and you don't realize it until after you've exported and you've closed out the program and you can't control Z it. it it's a it, it's a trial by fire. <laughs> Been there, done that many times. Uh, Ripple de delete, it can be your friend, but it can also be your worst mm. nightmare. Uh, yeah, so that's that's awesome because I know I know it's a ton of work to do that. Um, so I really appreciate your your editing skills on that um, because I know it's it just it's very time consuming. Um, so wh what what do you think is like the the? I mean, I know we've talked about the different process for season three. Um, mm -hmm. What, but in general, just uh, what do you think is different about the the final season um, versus the other two seasons, and and how has the fakest as a show changed? Good question. Good question. So I, I would say the biggest difference this year is the structure because, <clears throat> you know, this started out is I called it a sketch dramedy where the podcast was the show was the fakest show. But, you know, between the news stories, which were sketches, we would have little bits with 
the news team and their interpersonal drama and Paul's drama and Leanne's drama and everyone's drama. And it worked really good. I really enjoyed it. And it allowed me to sort of cycle through, I think I did about a hundred different individual stories in those first two seasons. Cause we would do three to six of them every episode. Uh, but you know, for, for one thing, I kind of, because of the way the world changed, I didn't get the third season out as quickly as I'd hoped. And originally I was planning for it to be exactly the same structure we'd use for the first two seasons. But, you know, COVID happened. My kids were home from school. It was hard to find time to work on it. So I, I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And then it was so far out. I was like, no one's going to remember anything that happened in the first two seasons. So I need to figure out a way to make it work, even if they don't. And so I was thinking about it and I was like, well, you know, this whole last season is supposed to be about them working together to try and figure out a way to save the show uh, from Bertram KCOM, uh, which you heard a little bit about earlier. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun is if instead of doing it the normal way, what if we just made the entire season about one day, death number 13th, 2021, uh, the last day they had to save the show. I, so I, once I came up with that idea, I was like, okay, well, how are we going to structure this? If, you know, probably six or seven hours worth of content is all about the one day. And I thought, why don't we turn the camera away from Paul and Leanne and why do, well, with a couple of exceptions and turn it around to the news team. Because uh, for one, we've had these great performers working with us for years now on this show. And while they've each had their individual moments, they've never really had their big time to shine. So I thought it would be cool to give everyone their own episode to kind of go in and play and have fun with. And I also thought it would be sort of like a Rashomon narrative, right? Or if uh, if you're a little younger in Arrested Development season four style narrative, uh, where basically, you know, we just kind of, it's kind of like a, I don't know, holding like a Rubik's cube in your hand and you're just flipping it around and looking at it from different angles. And eventually you figure it out and you can twist it together and make the final product. And that's kind of what we're doing in this season is each story is about one individual's day. Um, you know, Episode two is Grace Hooper Stafford. Episode three is me, Paul Defoe. Um, and I, I think in that way, it allows me to sort of structure the story to where there's these mysteries built in. And even though you've seen the end of the day several times by episode nine, you still really don't know what's going on <laughs> there or what's going to happen until those last couple episodes drop in. Uh, back to what you were saying earlier, too, about a... You know, if a writer is writing something, it, it should mean something, right? Well, you know, the, the way the fake is started with me was I wanted to kind of focus on my writing. And I at the time I was working at a television company, I won't say their name because no hard feelings or anything, but I was working at a television company. And that's where kind of the idea came from because I was surrounded by TV news 24-7, TV news gossip, TV news graphics, TV news newsrooms, all this kind of stuff. So I was like, you know, I have a lot of a big knowledge base here I can use to inform the show. Uh, so I started doing that. And as I was producing the season, it became very apparent that my role at my job was changing and it wasn't going anywhere near writing 
or content creation or anything like that, which sucked because, you know, from the time I was a little kid, uh, when I was five years old, I used to take this, the newspaper, uh, TV guide from the newspaper and I would take it apart and reassemble it and study it and like, just get really into it. I was always a huge fan of television. I always wanted to work in television. So finally, after 30 some odd years, we won't say exactly how many, I got the job in television. And at first it was great. And it seemed like there, there was a really clear path and a really strong future doing the kinds of things I was already doing in the fan casting stuff we were talking about earlier. But, you know, as time went on and, uh, you know, they discovered I had certain skill sets, uh, it started steering more and more away from that. And I, I came to the realization that you know, as much as I wanted the job, it really wasn't what I needed to kind of get my career going and get it going in the direction I wanted to go. And so when I was starting to write this season of The Fakest, it, it really that thought kept coming back to me. Uh, what do you do when what you want isn't what you need? And if there's any big theme to this season of The Fakest, if there's anything this season is about, it's about that. It's about how different people react to um, diminish returns on expectations uh, when they get what they want and they find out it's not what they need. And it's, you know, nine short stories exploring that idea. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that as well. Um, so you're you're not the only one who's who's gone through something like that. Um, <laughs> so that's awesome, though, that you're able to channel channel what you've experienced in the in the real world and put it in the fake world, um, <laughs> and and have those characters go through that as well. So that's that's really cool. Well, I appreciate your writing. I I think it's great, and I think it's very funny, and it always makes me laugh every time I open up a script. So just wanted so to compliment you on that. If anyone doesn't, you have Rebecca to blame because she always tells me this. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I'm going to pop in a couple things from the chat here real quick. Uh, Bobby says, because uh, uh, Bobby, uh, he plays Birdman Stan this season, Handlebar Van Dyke. He says this was his first experience recording live and doing improv. It's hard to get used to, but it certainly takes everything to another level. Uh, very, very true. And then Sean Barr mentions that we also did fake commercials. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's one of the things I hate is that because of the new structure, there's not a lot of room for fake commercials in this. Uh, besides the uh, very blatant zip recruiter ad reads that they're not paying us for, um, you know, there's really no commercials in it to speak of. <laughs> you should go check out ZipRecruiter, really. It's a, it's a great, great oh, tool yeah. if you're hiring I, for a job. Yeah, it, it's, it's the perfect tool to get a job for the modern professional. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, you know, something else that has been kind of challenging um, over the course of the past few years is, you know, there's not really a big budget for this. I've made a couple hundred bucks on it over the course of whatever years, and that basically covers my hosting and the gifts I sent out to the cast, right? So, you know, sometimes... As sad as it is, we have to part ways with performers because either a job takes up their time or if they're a performer, a paying gig takes up their time or they're just like, that bill makes us an asshole and I don't want to work with them anymore, which is fine. Uh, but, you know, on occasion, uh, we do have to recast roles. We had a few key roles we had to recast here. And I decided, hey, why don't we talk to just 
you know, a couple of them about, you know, what it was like sort of stepping in midstream on on these roles that have been established for a couple seasons. So uh, why don't we play that and then we'll be right back. Samantha, you're the second actress to play Carrie Tart. Uh, how did you approach playing an established role like this? Well, you, Bill, had, um, you were very helpful. You sent me the episode that Carrie Tart was like, sure, she had a lot to say, and I just listened to it a lot. We go now to the fakest entertainment reporter, Carrie Tart, for Toad's Hollywood. Carrie? I'm Carrie Tart, here to tell you Toast everything going on in Hollywood in under a minute. I didn't want to try and do uh, like a straight impression of it just because I couldn't find it comfortably. I cheated. Um, and then so I kind of just like took elements of it and then it became its own thing and more of what like I like more of me, I guess. You know, where the original Terry who played Carrie Tart originally, she went for more of a Mary Hart, uh, which is kind of where the name comes from, from Entertainment Tonight vibe. You went more sort of like, uh, oh, what, what was her name? Hedda Hopper, sort of like, you know, classic Hollywood reporter. <laughs> uh, do a little bit of the voice real quick. Uh, say say uh, uh, your Hollywood life or something in the in the voice. Oh, my name is Carrie Tart and this is your Hollywood life. <laughs> I have nothing but happiness about your entire performance, including your scene with Mr. Rogers. I was so glad to bring Mr. Rogers back for, for season three. And you did a great job kind of sitting down with him on a park bench and stating the theme of the season. So you are the third person, I believe, to ever play this role of Cindy McNeil. Paul Defoe back in the studio wants to know, and I quote, what the hell do you think you're doing? Give me that. You listening, asshole? Stop calling me. I've moved on. Yeah, the first one was Elizabeth Placencia, uh, who was a listener of my old podcast, Greetings from Storybrooke. And we brought I brought a bunch of those people in for the first couple episodes. And then, you know, she went and had a kid and she can't really do it anymore. So for the second or for the Christmas special, we had my wife's friend, Melody, who sounded kind of like Liz. You want me to be honest? <laughs> the fakest be honest? That sounds amazing. Uh, as far as Cindy McNeil, uh, how was it kind of stepping in and playing a role that has been played by two different actresses? I don't know if it's, it's good or bad that I didn't know too much history and I, I didn't know um, what the other actresses had done. So I think that might have been a good thing for me because it, it was less intimidating maybe. So I was nervous because, you know, I've, I don't know the, I don't know how the relationships were with the other women and how, how their performances were because you know, to do something someone's already done before and not, you know, without trying to copy it, but also give it a good representation. So and as the, you know, again, I was very, um, I'm very new to voiceover acting in general. So I don't think I had to worry about that as much because I was just more nervous about doing a good job in the first place. Well, I, I think you did a great job. And, you know, the other two actresses who have played Cindy McNeil, uh, they weren't really actresses, so to speak. Uh, so I, I knew uh, for this season, because there's some pretty heavy stuff in that scene. I mean, it's a funny okay. scene, uh, but there's some heavy stuff in there. So I knew I, I wanted to have someone who had some dramatic chops uh, to it. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm so glad we could uh, land you for that. Hey, Rebecca. Yeah. Uh, you want to hear another clip from the first episode of The Fakest? I definitely want to hear another clip. Do you want to hear one that stars you? Sure. I, I'm very curious. Okay, let's watch. 
after college, I went to work for my hometown station, WAFM-TV3 in Birmingham, Alabama. My first day on the job, I met Jerry Springer. Just walked around the corner and there he was, getting hit by a stripper with a chair. I loved it. I was good at producing too. I even won a regional Emmy for my work covering the anti-puppy protests. Then a throwback Thursday post from my college's Insta account went viral. Mr. Jim, the big boss, called me up to his office. Miss Snyder, how dare you be smudge the great name of WAFM TV3? We're bumming hands beacon for goodness sake. I, I I just want to say that that Jerry Springer story minus the stripper is true. <laughs> yeah, my, my a real day, story. Yeah, my first day working in television, I was doing my HR paperwork, and we came around a corner, and there was Jerry Springer there for like an affiliates meeting or something like that. <laughs> He's seen some things, Jerry Springer. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, there's there's one sort of big kind of gotcha thing that I, I want to make sure people are aware of uh, for the new season of The Fakest. Like always, I put very plot important things into a holiday special. Um, so I, I, I've i had a very real and pertinent motivation to finish this season. It's, it's very important to me, to my kids, to my family as a whole. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, play the, play this clip. Uh, I, I've, I've was able to reach out and talk to somebody who's going to clear all of this up. So here we go. Hello. Hello. Oh my God, Anne Marie. I, I can't, I, I can't believe it worked. I was, uh-huh. I, I dialed, I dialed up Skype and I was like, you know what? Maybe I should try Anne Marie and it, it, it worked. I, I, I can't believe it. You- I know they left me alone for a few minutes, so I was able to escape and pick up the call. Oh, good. Uh, so, so you're okay uh, there in somewhere west of New York City. They're treating you okay. No one's hurt you. No one's killed you, and you haven't had to look at Barry Tesh naked, right? No naked Barry Tesh, but do you see what the cat did to my bangs? They're very poopy. The cat just oh, went. Wh- yeah, yeah. And just did this. Oh, Mr. Freeze Seven Up. Yeah, maybe he was bothered by the fact that you looked exactly like Ella, so he like you know gave you a makeover or something. But I kept talking to him like, "Here, little kitty, here, my little crinkle," and he loved that. But then there was just something about my hair, and he just went, Wah. "Wow, wow." Um, well, I'm so, yeah. I, I didn't write that. I want you to know I didn't write that. No, I I've just I've been thinking about you so much since Halloween, and and, and you left. I just. Who just scratched the fuck out of my husband? You did, little kitty. Oh, I like Superman and Baronet Lays. Mr. Freeze 7-Up, open the portal back to somewhere west of New York City. Hey, Meeks' wife with a different last name. Want to come with? The kitty will snuggle up at your feet while you're sleeping. Ooh, ooh, Bill would never let me sleep with a cat in the bed. I'm allergic. I could die. My heart. But the kitty is so cute. Paul Defoe, the portal is open. No, Anne-Marie, what about me? What about the kids? 
What about the next season of Harley Quinn? Oh, come here, little baby. Of course I'll come home with you. Don't you worry. We won't let that mean allergic man anywhere near the stinky old portal, will we, kid? All right, Team Fakus. Let's go. Bye, dear. Tell my dad he really should have fucking visited. Get your ass in the chair and write, Meeks. And make sure you do a killer cliffhanger for season four. We're just getting started, Billy boy. We're just getting started. I hate being called Billy. I know. It's been a while. Like, I don't know why it's taking you so long to come get me. Well, you know, there's just there's been a lot going on because, you know, it happened on Halloween. And then, you know, right after Halloween was the election, which was just a whole thing. And then Thanksgiving, which, you know, we all did these little meals like everyone made a meal from a different country. And me and the kids had a great time. We played some games. I I, I taught them how to curse. But I'm glad you did. You want to know what I had? I had chips out of a vending machine. And let me tell you, they were stale. They were, were they at least? And is, is that a white claw? Are you are you drinking a white claw without me? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just it's been so stressful, and I've been trying to finish these so maybe last that's couple why you scripts. Me is because you've been drinking too many white claws. No, I, I swear I've been I've been writing like the Dickens and like like Dickens himself, actually. Uh, not like the Christmas special, but, uh, you know, very prolific. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I've been I've been thinking a lot about it and I've been, you know, going and editing scenes and, you know, getting them just perfect, listening to them a million times in a row. Because, I mean, if if this if I don't write this perfectly, then there's no way you're ever going to make it home. Oh, no, no, no. I got come home. This is enough. There's, there's smelly people. There's, again, there's really bad food. The cat has started to attack me. I, I just want to come home. I want to see Ziggy. I want to see the kids. We want to see you too. Actually, you know what? Let me, let me call the kids in here real quick. Kids, kids. No, we're playing video games. Where are they? I, I don't know. They just yelled something about uh, playing a uh, Splatoon two on the Switch. They got that, by the way. You missed that you since you weren't here for Christmas. Yeah, we got a Switch. Switch? I want a Switch. Oh my God! I, I think I think something's happening to the <laughs> signal. Oh my goodness! What's oh going no! On? Oh no! Come get me! Oh no! Oh, it's just me now. Well, guys, I'm just hanging out in somewhere west of New York City, hoping to get to go home before summer. We miss you, Anne Marie. We hope you get home soon. That was intense. I hope she's gonna make it. I, I I think she will. Once I get that last script script done, I I I can go and get her. I think. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All good. Th- I hope I'm hoping for all good things. <laughs> uh, let's see if it, anything from the chat here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Deborah Kerr gives meow meow. <laughs> uh, which is very important. Uh, John Barr says Dune doesn't have anything on the CGI effects from the previous video. And uh, Sam Lewis says, oh, <laughs> yeah, we miss her. We miss her. Okay. Well, to wrap up here, I thought, why not give, we've teased a lot of the season. Why don't I give a quick tease for every episode coming up here? So uh, what we're going to do here, we'll play a little game. I'll give the name of the episode. I'll give like a quick log line for it. And then Rebecca gets to ask me one question about it. 
You ready, Rebecca? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Let's. Uh, let's. This is that improvisation that uh, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna attempt. Okay. All right. I think I know the rules. Exactly. Okay. So 301 is called Alabama Bound. It's Leanne's secret origin story. And uh, so, what's the significance of Alabama Bound as a title? I uh, I'd say there's a dual significance. Uh, you know, uh, some someone can be bound for Alabama in terms of them traveling to Alabama. People can also be bound to something as in a binding curse. I mean, that's all. Mm. Oh, that's that's a pretty good tease. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so next up is 302. Love is all around. Uh, this is a rom-com parody starring Grace Hooper Stafford and Handlebar Van Dyke. Oh, well, I guess uh, love is all around. So it could there be something uh, there between those characters? It is 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 the love between them? What, what, what is what is what is where's the uh, the romance there? I, I'd say uh, there's definitely the possibility of love uh, between those two characters, but much like in any rom-com, something is standing in, in their way. And uh, Grace Hooper Stafford, along with her gay best friend, Byron Seals, the mythological weatherman, should be able to get it all sorted out. <laughs> I have so much faith in Byron. <laughs> okay, uh, next up is 303, uh, Unbreak My Heart. And... I don't want to say too much about this episode, except uh, that it's about Paul's day on December 13th, the last day they have to save the show, and Cindy McNeil appears in it. And so is is the the heart, the, the broken heart, is that Paul's? Uh, yeah, yeah. Unequivocally, Paul's heart. And he wants it unbroken. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, uh, next up is a 304 wannabe, and this is a buddy picture starring Barry Tesh and Tim Monet, where they have a friendly competition uh, to see who can make the best fake news story to win the spare studio that Ron Jolliver left behind when he quit. Does this episode have anything to do with the Spice Girls? Um, I mean, I mean, wannabe so much was of one of their biggest hits. Oh, yeah. Well, so much of my work is inspired by the Spice Girls. I mean, particularly Posh Spice. I'm a Posh Spice fan. Oh, Posh is great. Um, no, I, I will say, though, you might notice a trend here. Every episode title is also a song title. So so uh, go and uh, do your Internet searches uh, to exactly. get more to get more out of the episode. <laughs> exactly. All right. So um. Episode 305 called Vicario is a techno thriller starring Fergie McFernie, the third McFernie family member that we've had on The Fakest. It's also uh, sort of a love letter to a online community I used to be involved with called The Diamond Club uh, that's run by Brian Brushwood and Justin Robert Young, and they're both in it, and I, I'm very excited about it. So you mentioned uh, some genres there. Uh, how, how did you play with the, the genres in, in that episode? Well, it, I'll say it's sort of Black Mirror mirror esque in that it's sort of uh, the unintended consequences of technology. Uh, there, there's a visor in it that allows the uh, wearer to live uh, life through somebody else's eyes. Oh, so. very, very cool. Okay, uh, so three oh six, you drive me crazy. Uh, this episode is all about Ella. She's trying to hunt down the story that she needs to make to save the show, and she's not getting anywhere. Uh, so she goes to the control room to kind of figure out what she's going to do, 
And when she gets there, she stumbles upon a giant mutant hybrid cat, an intelligent computer, and my wife, <laughs> who she also plays. So uh, it's a very meta episode, but also one of my, my favorite ones of the season. Ella might be my favorite character on The Fakest. Uh, so can, can you give me uh, uh, some, some background on what, what really inspired you to create the character of Ella? Is, is she based on anyone? Uh, yeah, she's actually based on an investigative reporter uh, that works for a station that the company I used to work for owns called WBAL in Baltimore named Jane Miller. And she's just sort of like this really rough and tumble uh, investigative reporter. And I just, you know, I do character sheets and I always put a picture of someone who I want to model after. <laughs> and that's who I put on the sheet. But she also comes uh, from Anne Marie's uh, darker side, we'll say. Gotcha. Okay, so let's see. Uh, 307, after the thrill is gone, is the Carrie Tart episode. Our entertainment reporter decides she hates entertainment reporting and decides to strike off on her own and tell real stories about real people, just like This American Life. And it goes okay. So how how did, did it feel to, to write real stories after writing so many fake ones? Uh, it actually... It was a lot of fun, and the the sequence where she goes and does her show felt more like traditional fakest than just about anything this season. Uh, just because it, it, it's a lot of fun to to write real people when they don't have to be interesting. I'll say. <laughs> Okay, so, and then last but not least of the ones we're previewing tonight, uh, there's still three more episodes after this, but uh, 308, what about your friends? This is a a road trip. Uh, basically, Ron Jolliver, our British blowhard anchor, and his partner, Roy, get offered a job in Hollywood to helm a reboot of My So-Called Life, the <laughs> classic 90s series. And uh, think of all of those sorted Hollywood tales you've heard, mash them all together, mix in some PCP, and you have this episode. So uh, Ron Jolliver, uh, is is he based on a real person? It's sort of, the name seems familiar. So oh, uh, yeah. how, how did you come up with Ron Jolliver? Ron Jolliver is absolutely 1,000% a John Oliver parody. Um, <laughs> very, very much so. I just happened to know someone with a British accent who looked kind of like John Oliver too, which helped a lot. But uh, yeah, so that that's the episodes we're going to be premiering tonight. The other episodes concern the villains, and I think we'll probably might come back with one more of these streams when we get to that point of the release schedule. Um, okay, before we close out here, uh, I think it would be nice to play one more little preview clip here. And uh, this clip, uh, to, to set it up, uh, you know, something that it, people have always bugged me about uh, ever since I started making this show is the fact that the town it's set in is called somewhere west of New York City. It confuses <laughs> people, it frustrates people. And people always ask me why. I never really had a solid answer. So I decided to go ahead and write one into the first episode of this season. So let's go ahead and listen to that now. After a quick call with Paul, who sounded distracted. <laughs> Cindy, Cindy, I'm on the phone. Yes, again. Well, I'm a pretty important dude. I had a job interview in somewhere west of New York City. Now, you might ask where somewhere west of New York City is, in relation to Alabama, 
But I'd answer that it's not so much a place as a concept. The hustle. And the bustle. Get him, boys, get him. Shoot him. Shoot him in the head. Somewhere west of New York City is a symbol. Your own platonic ideal of a bustling metropolis. That being said, the trip took eight hours riding on the Greyhound. Very nice, very nice. And uh, yeah, so basically, it's it's just a generic city. It's like Star <laughs> City or Gotham City or Metropolis, but fun sequence anyway. Um, that episode is a lot of fun. It's going to be out in two days on uh, March 3rd. Um, I, so I, I figure I'll go ahead and, uh, you know, we've been on here for about an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, you guys probably just want to stop listening to us and wait for the show to start, which is great. Uh, so like I said, it's starting out Wednesday, starting Wednesday, March 3rd, and we'll be releasing previous seasons. We've released bi-weekly because of my schedule this season. I've taken very great care to make sure we can release every week for the next 11 weeks. So go ahead and, uh, you know, search for us on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And if you want to go ahead and leave a review, especially on Apple podcast, we only have 12 reviews. We have way more listeners than that, but we only have 12 reviews. It would be nice. It's not going to really do anything uh, for me, for the show promotionally, but it would just be nice to, you know, Get, get some, you know, kind kind words there in the reviews uh, towards the end. Uh, I'll also recommend uh, if to subscribe to uh, our YouTube channel at doanything.media slash YouTube, because over the course of the weeks, you know, you saw excerpts of interviews with our, our cast members tonight. We'll be publishing every week a few sample clips from the episode and interviews with the cast members where we kind of dig in in depth on their background and uh, how they approach playing their characters. Uh, now, Rebecca, I, I know you generally have a lot of fines levied against you. Where can people find you? Like it says in the <laughs> doc here. Actually, you know what? It's underlined. I probably meant find you. Where can people find you? That seems like a, a, a good correction. Uh, people can find me on the internet uh, on Instagram if they want to follow me and see some of the pictures I take at The Derby Kid. It's T-H-E-D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D. Um, you can also find me as one of the co-hosts of Supergirl Radio. It's a podcast about the CW Supergirl, but it's also about just Supergirl in general. So if you're into Supergirl comics or Supergirl the movie with Helen Slater, we talk about that sometimes too. So you can find that at supergirlradio.com. And we're on all the social media platforms. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Supergirl Radio. So those are probably the best places to find me. I also, well, and I also have a YouTube channel that I uh, sometimes put up videos. <laughs> so if you <laughs> want to check out some of the video content that I put up, uh, you can find me at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. That's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. Thank you very much, Rebecca. And as for me, you can follow me everywhere at Bill Meeks. Uh, you can also, I will say that if you like the writing I do on The Fakest, I'm playing around with some new ideas, uh, all based around a, a theme. Uh, if you want to go check out uh, three soon-to-be-four TV pilots I've written, one of which might become the next audio drama I do, uh, go over to HawkingHillsScripts.com. All uh, TV pilots all set in a small town in Ohio, called Hawking Hills. Uh, so in closing, I just want to 
give a big thank you uh, to our cast and the people who have jumped in to help creative, uh, such as Tom Gerke, who, who's done the album art for us the past two years, Joe Carr and Stephen Carroll, who I used to be in a band with, for helping out with the new theme song. A, a few various uh, Fiverr artists who have helped with some other little incidental music. And uh, last but not least, I'd like to thank my wife, who abandoned me uh, for a cat. Um, I, I, I'll also say that the theme song, I know traditionally we end seasons with Paul doing a really bad karaoke number. He will be singing the theme song to this season before the end of the season. I, I, I just want to make that promise to you because I know a lot of people care about it. All right. So that's it. Uh, go ahead and subscribe to the show by searching Fakest with an I, F-A-K-I-S-T, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other places. And uh, get ready for Leanne's origin story in about, eh, I'd say, roughly two days. Uh, and I better get working on that. Now go out there and have a hell of a night. I don't have to tell you guys that things are bad. But I think if we kick names and take ass tonight, we might just be able to save the show. Turn on your TVs, honey, let's go. Let's watch the fake news team and that jerk part the foe. They only have one day to save the show. There's a fake news worth saving. They'll fight really hard, but it'll still blow. But fake is arrive at the day in question, December 13th, 2021. One last day to save the show. One last day, a standalone story set in the world of the fakes. Starting March 3rd on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, well, everywhere else. <laughs>